Howdy, folks. Happy Thursday. It's a rainy day in uh, Buffalo, windy. Russ, I always love it in the fall and the winter when I wake up in the morning on garbage day and see the garbage flying down the street. <laughs> it's and not happening here, but it is blustery here. Yeah, it's like the street that I live on is sort of like a wind tunnel. There's a creek on the on the right one side, and, yeah. and the wind just and the even though the, the the garbage cans are full with garbage, they the wind oh, is not boom. enough. Boom! Wow. I mean, you probably have to put bricks in the bottom of it just to. But then the bricks get thrown away, and what the hell? Right. So, but yeah, no, it was it was. Thankfully, I wasn't the one. One had to run, run, run all down the street and pick up plastic cups. We we had rain all day yesterday. Now I understand places like Long Island and places by the water are going to get this bomb cyclone thing. Luckily, we didn't get that. So, so I wonder if the I wonder if the Yankees game is in danger again today. I mean, it could be, but they're <laughs> close enough to it. It all depends how it breaks and when it hits. Yeah, I haven't heard anything, so we'll we'll discuss that. Uh, we know the Yankees; they'll wait until was it an eight o'clock game? Yeah, this is strictly under Major League Baseball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. They'll wait till seven forty-five. They're known for that. Actually, I will say this: last couple of years, they've gotten a little better about it because they've taken intense scrutiny. So I would say the last two years, they've actually gotten better at calling games. Before that, it, they were awful. Yeah, no, it's, it's and the Phillies are awful too. Like they're one of the it, worst. They open the gates at five o'clock for seven o'clock game. They get let everybody get loaded up in hot dogs and beer, and then they cancel the game. Yeah. Uh, okay. Pre-show. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So there was a game, and it was a Triple A game. I don't know where it was. Uh, SF Gate covered it, and basically, they are using and they are uh, attempting to use the robot strike zone. Okay, robot umpires. Yeah, the robot. Well, it's not a robot umpire because there's still a human home plate umpire behind there calling what the pitch track thing tells them to do. Okay. So the guy throws a pitch, and it looks like you know a curveball with a heavy sized rotation on it. Definitely not a strike. If people want to watch the video, uh, just go um, to sfgate.com. You'll see it, or you can go to my Facebook page. Watch the thing. You'll see it's not a strike, but the umpire just goes strike because now he's a robot. And right, because, you know, he's not allowed to, to do anything. He's got to go with what this thing says. And the, player, and the player argues and gets thrown out by the human umpire. And this is exactly what will happen if we let these robot umpires into, into Major League Baseball. It's going to be awful. That's that's a little better. Yeah. Um. Well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Well. Everybody thinks that the like these things will eliminate the Earl Weavers and the Billy Martins and things of that nature. Now you could see managers just getting into arguments with the umpires on over the totally inane, over the things like, you know. I mean, I, I know that. Uh, um. I mean, it was Aaron Boone, and I know it was called. It was a. It was the strike zone. Uh, situation during the regular season. This is the thing where he said we're a bunch of savages and all that baloney. Yeah, yeah. yeah but the thing is, the, the the strike zone could still like they could still they still have the freedom to interpret. Like you know, it's like it doesn't it was, seem like they do. Well, if, if, if that's the case, uh, so, so I'm sorry then. If, if that's not the case, if they're if they're completely locked in to what. The computer calls a strike. I think they are in in AAA, the the league that's doing it. Maybe it's the Arizona Fall League because this time of year. I think they are because they're testing it. Okay. But um, the idea is is this: that was a major league curveball, right? Mm -hmm. We've seen some really tight breaking sliders, some crazy split finger pitches. What if even a guy throws an Ephus pitch? You know. I don't think a, a computer is going to pick that up. I don't. No, it's a, it's all going to be whether it whether it's between the the numbers and the knee, and yeah. and on inside the black on each side of the plate when it crosses the plate, and yeah. if it, and if it doesn't, if it does, then it's a strike, and it could be a thirty mile an hour pitch that's thrown sixty feet in the air. But if it comes down like a like a slow pitch softball pitch. Then, then it's a strike. And that's what I'm afraid of. I think that's where we're heading if we do it. So I, I would not like to see them do that. Just my take. 
I mean, I hate slow pitch softball. I mean, um, because because you got hurt. No, no. Well, I broke my ankle running, but that was twenty years ago. No, and I hate slow pitch softball because the guys, you know, these these artistic pitchers. You know, it's like. And, and thankfully, like in some of these leagues, they call the guys who throw like a 60-foot pitch, like sort of comes straight down, they call it an illegal pitch. And then yeah, you know, they call it an illegal right away. And then you have the, the freedom. You can still you swing it. Right. But still, it's it's ridiculous. Um, if it's just a normal slow-pitch softball, then, I mean, come on. We're not playing Game 7 of the World Series. It's slow-pitch softball. It's for older people. It's for people who, you know, have uh, you know delusions of grandeur that they could have played in the major leagues or something. I don't have delusions of grandeur that I could play in the major league. I just enjoy playing. Yeah, but you don't play slow-pitch, right? You play yeah, no, no, I play slow, slow. Oh, okay. But I will tell you – but I, it's okay. But I'll tell you this. Uh, sometimes I'll hit that illegal pitch. What I hate more than that – is the guy that tries to put backspin on the ball, right? What I've learned to do with a guy that does backspin on it is literally just hit it exactly where he pitches it, right? So then it respins the backspin, and it almost always either goes through the infield or is a perfect line drive. And so it doesn't bother me. It bothers some people, though, it does. Uh, just to answer Funky Cold Zadina yeah. in the chat, uh, he said in slow pitch you have to change your swing to an uppercut swing. See, that's the thing. No, you don't. Actually, no. that's a misnomer. Yeah, I'm I'm a level swinger. Now you have to. What you have to do is it, if you don't do an uppercut swing, because I'm I'm not a home run hitter anymore. There was a time where I could hit a lot of home runs. I can't do that anymore at my age. So you just have to swing level, but you have to wait it out. You have to be patient. I I, I was the guy like I. I yeah, I'm the guy who annoys most softball teams, not only because of my charming personality, but because I'm a right-handed batter who hits opposite field. I do that too. And they hate that. They because oh, they, they usually put their worst fielders in right field because there are not that many lefty batters. And and I'm somebody I'm getting an echo here. Oh no, it's gone now. Uh, I'm I'm somebody who will wait and wait and wait and then just go the other way. And hit it down the right field line. And yeah. I swear to God, one one time the the guy who was the first baseman says, you know, don't you pull the ball? I'm like, no. Like, he says the really? he actually said that to you. No yeah. one's that. I only do it like once a game, but but I do it because I'll pull the ball too. But it depends how guys are playing. Like it depends right. how the infield and outfield are constructed. That's what it really matters. Now, just just to touch on this briefly, and then we'll get started. I, I saw an article. I think it was in the Montreal Gazette, but it, it got sort of widely. Uh, um, circulated on on Twitter uh, about Donald Brashear, the former yes NHL enforcer, played with Philly, played with Vancouver, or played. But I'm sorry, he played with Philly. I know for sure. Played with Montreal, a few other teams. Um, he it was discovered that he is working at a Tim Hortons in a. I think it's in the Montreal area, but I know it's in Quebec, in the province of Quebec, and. You know, he fell on hard times. He had some drug and alcohol issues. Uh, somebody who was a friend of his um, gave him a job at Tim Hortons. And I, there seemed to be like, I think, a little bit of a smear and a little bit of a shame campaign against uh -huh. Brashear. I mean, Brashear was never a particularly favorite player of mine. Him and Domi had a bunch of uh, things going when they were with Philly and Toronto. But I thought that the not a bad guy, actually. No, no, no. I thought, I, but I thought the sh I thought the, thought the shaming thing was was ridiculous. I At least know. he's working. At least he's trying to earn. You yeah. know, you could say he had millions of dollars and he pissed it away on drugs and alcohol. I mean, that, how many? Give me a dollar for every time we've heard that story. But at right. least he's not like homeless. And uh, you know, up for work. There's a reason he's showing yeah. up for work. Right. It, I mean, I I I apply, I apply. You know, I mean, I don't applaud the the situation that he's in but he is making the best of it now by going to work earning a, earning a bit of a living i mean i think people just see the fact that he was an nhl player and made hundreds of thousands of dollars and now see where he is and they're using that to shame him and i'm like that's ridiculous i wouldn't do that and i think that's that's sort of disgraceful so it is it is disgraceful all right um oh and, and just let me say one more one more quick thing major league baseball is an unmitigated joke. If what has been reported by, I know it was Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe and a few other outlets, that Major League Baseball changed the balls 
from the regular season ball that was flying out of the ballpark and wrecking. Yeah, I heard this too. And now they've changed the balls for the playoffs. What in the hell are you doing? Again, I, I believe Dan Shaughnessy. He's a great writer. Uh, if that is indeed true, and there's no reason to believe it's not, uh, I, I told you Rob Manfred's doing a bad job here. I mean, why in the world would you do that? What is the motivation for doing that in season, especially when you basically denied it, right? Didn't they deny there was anything with the ball right. during the season? Well, he got he got a quote from a from an unnamed general manager, and it said, you know, it would be nice if Major League Baseball would let us know what the rules are or what you know, what's going on so we can plan our teams accordingly because now, in a sense, you've changed the rules in the middle right. of the game. And teams, you know, teams like Houston and teams like Washington with dominating starting pitching, now they have an advantage because the ball's not going to fly out of the ballpark. Right. I will say this, too. Uh, there is no standard – for the baseball that's used in Major League Baseball. Right. There is no actual standard. That's why every couple of years something else happens, and then Major League Baseball sort of says, I don't know, it's at the factory. Like, they don't have full control over it. And that's why we have these issues every four, five, ten years where there's these aberrations. And the fact that they're doing it now, if, if they're doing it now for the playoffs, that really bothers me. Wow. All right. Uh, hello, Hockey World. Today is Thursday, October 17th, 2019. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. And I'm Michael Agello, and this is the Hockey Buzz cast here on HockeyBuzz.com, and we're sponsored by Dunkin' Donuts because Russ is drinking some. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, we'll start with we'll start with the games last night. Yeah, there you go. We'll start with the games last night, and there are a couple of some interesting rumors that are percolating around the uh, hockey world that we'll discuss. Uh, start with the game that you uh, – that you were watching, Russ, uh, the Edmonton Oilers and the Philadelphia Flyers. Now I have to say, uh, Edmonton was fortunate that Philly was playing the second of back-to-back -back games. They played in Calgary la the, the previous night. Uh, Oilers win six to three. Uh, not a particularly good defensive performance by the Flyers. But what did you think of this game? Okay, so let's do away with all the possible excuses. Okay, back-to-back, okay. -back, all the flying. Because if they'd have won these games. Nobody would be complaining. Right. And nobody would say, wow, they won these games even though. So let's do away with that. If we do away with that, this game was a disaster. Now, fans and some writers are hanging their hat on the fact that when the game was just two to one, the Flyers were dominating. Well, guess what? You could dominate all you want. You could have all the shots in the world. You could have all the puck possession. If you don't put the puck in the net, it doesn't matter, right? So then all of a sudden there's this play where they basically throw a bomb <laughs> and with a puck to Connor McDavid, right? It's the same thing that an NFL quarterback does. They decided, hey, and I'm sure they practiced this, there's going to be probably a couple points in the game where they're just going to test the foot speed of the Flyers' defense, which isn't great, and Justin Braun's one-on-one -on, -one on Connor McDavid, and he can't cover him. He actually probably should have tripped him or at least tried to windmill his, his stick to get rid of the puck because he saw that McDavid was breaking and there was really nothing he can do, and McDavid just had his way with the puck, scores at 3-1, then it's 4-1. I think it got to be 5-1. And so this game was never close. This game was never a good game for the Flyers. They got to 6-1. Yeah, 6-1, because I was already – my eyes were fluttering at that point. Um, this is one of those games where everyone needs to stop making excuses, because I'm going to tell you something. That blueprint – and I talked about it earlier in the day on SiriusXM. That is now the blueprint. Everybody has a couple of really fast skaters. The Rangers have Chris Kreider. Everybody's got one. You watch. That play is going to happen again. That is just not a Connor McDavid play. That is going to be a play now where now it's a little different than the stretch pass because it's thrown in the air, but defensemen on the Flyers better watch out for that because as good as Niskanen has been, he and Braun are not the fleetest of skaters anymore. They've slowed down just enough that where some of these elite skaters in the league are faster than them. And the biggest thing you notice when the Flyers play these Western Conference teams as a whole, the team speed – does not equal these teams 
And that's why they went 0-2-1 on the trip. That's the reason. And and here's a cautionary tale for the Edmonton Oilers. I know that everybody, including Ak, is like, oh my God, this, you know, they're six oh they're six one and one. Um you give up 52 shots. Miko Koskinen makes 49 saves. He had a great game. He did. He had a great game. A, you're not going to get that kind of performance out of Koskinen every no. game. B, you're not going to get five points out of Connor McDavid every game. This is why, you know, when their core group is dominating, and we know that Dreisaitl is one of the best forwards in the league and McDavid is the best player in the league, um, when that's going great guns, they're going to win. The problem right. is, is that they have nothing else. Right. You know, and last night, dry sidle from McDavid and Clefbaum. Ethan Bear from Neil and Nugent Hopkins. McDavid from Clefbaum and Russell. Nugent Hopkins from dry sidle and McDavid. Dry sidle from McDavid. Brandon Manning from McDavid and Cassian. It's all McDavid. It's all dry sidle. Oh, it is. I mean, they were double shifting them in that second period when they were down. When they were only up, sorry, they were up 2 1. They were double shifting them then to try and pound it because I think they saw that, you know what? Nobody's doing anything here. Let's just put our best guys in. And it worked. So also bad for them too and bad for the Flyers that it did work. Also another thing, Mike. So Carter Hart got pulled for the second game this year. And say what you want. Hey, this is his fault. This isn't his fault. We can only call him as we see him. Right now, his save percentage is a 904. It's much harder for a young goalie to start a season than to come in and sort of not be the savior, but, hey, see if you could be that spark. We've seen that before. Same with a coach. It's hard to start a season as that guy. Well, he is that guy now, and a 904 is below league average. It is. And so – you have to look at that objectively and say, okay, maybe we shouldn't put all this pressure as a fan base on Carter Hart. And and I don't think Vigneault is doing that. Actually, I think Vigneault is doing the right thing when he pulls them. The pressure is on these players. And if these players don't start performing, now Voracek did get, I think he got two goals in that game, but he got them late. So you yeah. can make the argument he got garbage time goals. Van Riemsdyk still doesn't have one. So you can look at some of these players, and I'll go down the list here. If they don't start scoring, they're gonna a lot of them are gonna be in trade talks because this team, this management does not have any link or care to these guys. They're not their guys. Some of them are, some of them that they just brought in and signed, but a lot of them aren't. So they're not gonna get the same consideration that they would have in the past. So as an example, point-wise, things you wouldn't expect. Travis Sanheim, one point. Uh, James Van Riemsdyk, no points. Shane Gostaspier, no points. Uh, Kevin Hayes, one goal, but I'll at least say he's playing a pretty complete game. Those things are going to have to change. Oscar Lindblom is tied for their second leading scorer with four points in five games. And he's still a young player. So – you look at that, that has to improve. And if it doesn't, AV will, will go to management and say, you know, when you can, we need to do something here. Like that's just the reality of business, the way, especially now knowing that the Devils are going to have a hard time this season. The Flyers could grab a playoff spot, but not with road trips like this. And this is what I always talk about. And again, I gave it a few games. And if, the set, if somebody wants to see a bigger sample size, that's up to you. But I do see a difference with them on a home, at home and them on the road. No question about it. Um, moving on to other games, the uh, the Capitals with a 4-3 victory over the Maple Leafs uh, at Capital One Arena last night. <clears throat> uh, Toronto took an early 2-0 lead in that game. Jakob Verana scored late in the first period to get uh, the Capitals on the board. And then a three-goal outburst in a span of a minute and 18 seconds because that's up Baxter and Carlson, uh, one of them on a five-on-three power play. That Carlson shot was a blast, though. Yeah, it was, it, and it was, in, it was a great play by Ovechkin to set him up. 
Um, but really the Leafs, I don't think showed much after that second of back-to-back games. Again, they got a goal late in the third from, um, from um, Tavares and tried to tie the game, but really didn't have a lot after that, the three goal outburst and taking it for first take at the Washington perspective. They haven't been phenomenal to start this year, but you see the makings of a really good team. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I think there's a sense there of, this is the year we're going to win it. And after this, there might be some changes because Backstrom's a UFA and Holtby's a UFA. The one thing, Russ, they put in Sam Sonoff again. And I thought, you know, he only one of the first two Leaf goals was bad. Um, Which one, McCappanen shorthanded? No, no, I, I don't think, you know, I mean, he was right. He was, McCappanen was, had a wide open net. I the mean, one that went over his glove. Yeah, it was the Mikhaev goal. Okay. But, but I thought Sam Sonoff played well. And they're, I think, looking to see if he can handle the number one duties. Yeah, I, I don't know why they wouldn't check that out. Yeah, I still, I still think there's a possibility they could end up moving Holpe if they, if they uh-huh. think they need something else, and if they think they have co- enough confidence in, in in Samsonov. But this is a team built for this year. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, and they may let Holpe be like that that dreaded own rental, and just because they have Samsonov, they may let it roll that way. But you would think the flyer and the Flyers, you would have thought the Leafs would have gained more traction with getting a shorthanded goal in that game. And it seemed like early on that was the case. But again, I turned off this game, so I'll rely on you. But my big thing is, what did they do to adjust in this game? What did they do to come back in this game? What did they do? I mean, did they did they do anything? They ju- I mean, they juggled lines a little bit, but that's basically it. And you know, they. And, that, and that's the thing. It's like, again, they for, sort of fell back into what happened. Well, who was their fourth line for this one? They, they kept the same fourth line. This is the third game in a row they've stuck with. The worst of the three of the, of the two combos, they went with Dimitro, who I like, Dimitro Timoshov, and Nick Shore along with Frederick Gauthier. Instead of, sitting. Yeah, instead of Nick Patan and Spezza. So how many games have Nick Patan and Spezza played? Like two? Three. Three. I mean, I... This is where Babcock may be costing them wins. No well, he, he got a great performance out of that line against Detroit on Saturday and then stuck with them in a win against Minnesota and it stuck with the same lineup. When they had back-to-back games and before they had the, the, they rotated the two, the, two, the two fresh forwards in for the second game. Also – they sent Rasmus Sandin down to the minors. They play Martin Marinson. And I don't care what anybody – somebody sent me a video snippet saying, well, Marinson was the right – Marinson's playing left defense. He drifts over to the right side, and the goal scorer, I think it was Kuznetsov, is on – is where Marinson should have been hit, shooting a one-timer pass. Hunting. He's one of those guys that goes over the Mason-Dixon line there in the middle that you're not supposed to do. Yeah, and, and, and this, is the, this is the other thing. Michael Hutchinson played a good game, but he's getting excoriated today by 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 Lee fans because you predicted that you did, and it's like okay, but this is the problem: you put your backup in second of back to back games against a better team, and what do you expect? I thought he played a better cup team. That's what they are. Right, right now the Leafs are four, three, and one through eight games. They have the most goals in the NHL, thirty-one, and the. 26th, 27th, uh, most goals or, or uh, goals allowed uh, in the NHL at 28. So they're, they've scored 31 goals and they're a plus three in goal differential. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, I know that Babcock last week when I was up in Toronto, when they before they played Tampa, talked about the team playing well defensively and how they have to model that during the year to have that happen when, uh, when you know, when the playoff – playoffs come around well they're not modeling that right now they're playing fire wagon hockey they're allowing yeah. you know they're mean i mean they may not be allowing a lot uh, more shots they I think they're probably their shots are down but they're allowing just as many goals as they're scoring and that's not the way to win so i, I don't know i mean i for my for my mind i would put nick batan and spezza in for the next game but the next game is against boston so he's probably going to want to put you know, bigger forwards on that fourth line. And, you know, Spezza is more of an offensive player and Patan is a small, a small guy. Um, 
maybe they call up an Igor Korshkov from the AHL because he scored four goals in four games, you know, but I, I just think that this is, uh, you know, th this team has not played as well as people expected, but a lot of people thought they were going to, they were going to struggle early on because of the changeover in the roster. And the ironic thing is that the guys who are struggling are not the guys that they brought in, but the guys who have been there. Yeah. So uh, I was answering a uh, tweet yeah. because since the Rangers are going to be playing the Devils, you know, this one guy who told me he would take Kako over Hughes decided to regurgitate that tweet where I wrote to each his own. And I just did in capital letters too soon. <laughs> yes. What's my feeling on that? Yeah, you can't, you, I'm sorry. You can't not make decisions after six games. Seven I mean, games. It's just I just don't understand people. Yeah, I mean, okay, the Carolina Hurricanes and the Edmonton Oilers are going to be the best teams in the Eastern and Western Conference based on the fact that mm -hmm. the season started on October 2nd and the season ended on October 17th. Yeah. Come on. I know. I mean, a little, you know, I, I understand that the the uh, that the perspective of the of the younger generation right now is is sort of instant gratification and a I don't even know if this guy's younger. I don't think he is based on his picture. And a small and a small sample window or small sample. But my God. Anyway, um, moving on. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins have to be considered a big success story right now with all the injuries that they've had. Uh, they're five and two. They beat the Avalanche three to two in overtime yesterday. Um, Sidney Crosby early on might be making a case for the Hart Trophy. I don't think that's that's being uh, not outrageous. Yeah, yeah. It's like he started talking about this last week. I said he is not letting his team go down. He is not. Yeah, no. And Brandon Tanev gets the gets the game winning goal in overtime. I'm just checking to see if it was Murray or Tristan Jerry. Oh, I had this conversation where I was saying that he affects so many facets of the game that he could really keep his team in a game and really affect the outcome of a game and really make people play better. Yeah. I meant that when I said it and it was on display. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and Matt Murray with 26 saves for the victory. I mean, they, they need Matt Murray to stay healthy and they need Matt Murray to continue to play at the level that he usually plays. The one concern is Latang is being severely overplayed as they normally do with him. I think he played 27 minutes last night. I mean, they, they really can't do that, but they continue to do that. They can, yeah, they're going to do it. Like they've done it before and they'll do it again. And that's the amazing thing about Latang with all the health issues and everything else he's had guys got a lot of heart, man. And when he, and he could skate, he could really still skate. The other thing about that game is I have to call out Kale McCarr because he did this cooking with kale segment and he was making a smoothie and he ate kale oh. raw, like just right out of the bag. While he was mixing everything in the blender, he was just like, oh, yeah, this is good. And then he was mixing it all in the blender with the sugar and, and the juice and everything else. And I was like, man. Gross. Kale, gross. Gross. Kale and arugula are just gross tasting. I can even get past arugula a little bit. Kale, it's just you got to do something to it or you can't eat it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. I don't, I, and I don't, I don't care if you can't taste it if you put it in a shake. If a shake is green, I'm not drinking it. I've tried with some of the green stuff. I it's so freaking gross. I'm sorry. No. Basically, you know how you have to do it. You have to add copious amounts of sugar to get it down. Like that spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Remember that from the what was yeah. that sound of music? Yeah. That's the only way you make that go down. Yeah, that, that that and not put it in a clear plastic cup like you're drinking out of. Put it in something that you can't that you can't see it. So Even you, if you blindfold me, I don't think I'm gonna finish. Yeah, no, it's just it's just gross. I'm sorry. Spinach in a shake does not work. All right, so let's talk about the Columbus Dallas game, right? Because I watched a lot of it, and we'll talk about the goal later because that was just a byproduct of that game. The Dallas Stars are in trouble. Yeah, trouble, man. They they're frustrated. Pavelski is already frustrated. At his he scored a, goal, he scored a goal yesterday, though. So that's I know, but you could see frustration on him because he's not scoring the way he used to, and he's frustrated. Uh, I was, you know, good for Hayskin and for getting it going. And what they lose three two, right? Because yep. I ended up turning it off. But um, this was one of those games where, and Corey Perry was in there. Their power play is just 
awful. It's below 5%. I don't know what it is today. It might be like 3.5%. I don't know what you do with that. Yeah, I mean, they're one, six, and one. I mean, I still I still stick with what I wrote yesterday um, of those three coaches that are rumored to be in trouble. I think Montgomery is the one that's least in trouble because oh, I agree, but it doesn't mean that changes won't happen. Right. I mean, right, exactly. And I think that, you know, that what could happen because they have they have more flexibility than some other teams. Yeah. They can make a trade, they can move things around, they can shake things up. But right now, now I want to wait until we, we talk until Eck comes on the show to talk about the rumor he posted about Jamie Ben. I honestly I don't see unless again it's a big salary for big salary where you need I mean they might need to shake it up that way. I mean Yeah, but who's gonna I mean nine and a half million dollar player? That's that's a tough nut to crack. It is. They're probably gonna have to eat some salary, but I bet you those are the kinds of things they're looking at right now. Uh as we speak, here is the bottom of the bunch in power play percentage. This is hard to believe, but this is where you just wonder what's going on in this league sometimes. New Jersey Devils, they have the same great point average as a Mr. Blutarski, 0.0. So do the Ottawa Centers. Daniel Simpson Day, no good have, point average. <laughs> I should have two straws up my nose when, you, when the camera pans on me, but I didn't. Um, Ottawa Senators, zero. Anaheim Ducks, 5.6. Dallas Stars, 4.2. Fat, fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. Kings <laughs> are 9.5. Those are all the teams under 10%, which, again, I don't know how you do that. Yeah, I mean, I, this is totally unforeseen because you think you look at their defense, Dallas. You look at Lindell and Klingberg and the quality that the quality that they and Heiskanen. You look at their forwards. Their forwards were good last year. They bolstered with Perry, although Perry you know, was his first game yesterday. But they bolstered with Perry. They added Pavelski. You know, they have young guys like Hints coming up. I mean, I'm not a math major, Mike, but I think Dallas is really is the worst power play in the league. Because they're one for 24. New Jersey's only had 18. Ottawa's only had 17. Anaheim, 18. They've had 24. They are one for 24. And Klingberg, well, I think the only team that they're better than is New Jersey because New Jersey hasn't scored one power play goal. They're no, no, Ottawa, same. Ottawa hasn't scored one either. Oh, Ottawa has, okay, wow. And, that, and that's, you know, that's what Thomas Shabbat, one of the better young point guys in the league. I mean that's yeah. I mean that's that's bizarre. And Again, you want to give John Gibson credit. His team's only scored one, so Arizona's only scored two. Chicago's only scored two. Detroit has only scored two. There are some really bad teams on the power play, Mike. And you would just think that somebody would figure this out. Maybe maybe teams need to start figuring out a different do way of doing the power play. I got an idea. Stop dropping the puck behind the behind you. Oh, you mean as the, as you're coming up? Right. Yeah, it's not like it's not like that doesn't do anything. Everybody knows how to set up for that. Yeah. I think originally it was a surprise when you went up there and you dropped it behind you, and it's sort of like a misdirection. So right. maybe you know you get players to shift. Everybody does it, so nobody – it doesn't do anything anymore. Well, the lo the lost art right now, and it, it's it's sad because we've, co we've come into this analytic age where puck possession is everything, is the dump-in. It's like right. they, have, they have to carry it in the zone. And teams, basically what they're doing is they're stacking four up, four up on the blue line, and it's almost impossible. It's very tough to be able to enter the zone, retain it, and set up. Sometimes, you know, it's a, usually a 50-50 battle where you dump it in the corner. If you win the race, you catch, you, you get the puck, and you, and you uh, retain it in the offensive zone. What I've noticed is a lot of teams are getting three guys back, and they're sort of trapping uh, the one or two players along the side so they outnumber them. Have you noticed that? Yeah. I, 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 so what, I, what I've noticed is the, the most common entry tactic is – to have your center or whoever whoever is the puck carrier, and it, normally it's not the defenseman, but you'll have them enter the zone, and as the 
as the opposing forward or defenseman is standing them up, you know, usually a couple feet inside the blue line, they dish it off to the corner boards. And there they try and trap that guy. Right. And then and then that and then that that forward will go to them and then the point guy is open and then they, and then they they uh they work the offense and you know usually it's and remember now most of these power plays are one three one with one guy at the side of the net, uh one one guy in the half board on the half wall on each side, one guy in the slot, and then the point guy at the power play and the, the Why two don't you do the Gretzky office more. That wreaks havoc. When you got a guy behind the net. And he's a good passer, and he can handle the puck. Don't you think that that's not only exciting, but hard for the other team to figure out, as well as the goalie? Well, the thing is now, and what you know, these def the defensemen who are killing penalties, I guess they 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 drill it in their head to not go behind the net because that's what the the guy with the puck behind the net wants you to do. They want he wants to draw the the uh, the PK defenseman to him, and then he floats the puck out in front to an empty space. If they don't go after the guy, then the advantage definitely swings to the to the, the penalty killers because you've got a guy sure. standing behind the net with no outlets. Right. That's fair. But how often does that happen? I'm not, just, not, not often. Not often. Yeah. You're right. That is the counter for it, but you don't see it anymore. And, again, I'm not a power play specialist, so good luck to these teams that are under 10%. Man, wow. Now, I wanted to tie this to – something that I saw in the Leafs game last night. Um, the Anaheim Ducks ended the uh, Sabres uh, point streak, uh, handing them their first regulation loss. Breaking news. Do you want to hold up on that? Oh, so uh, Valentin Zykov has been suspended for 20 games for violating the terms of the NHL, NHLPA Performance Enhancing Substances Program. Now, Zykov, was he still with LA or is he the new team? Vegas. Vegas. Okay. Well. So now he is the second Vegas player to get a suspension like that. Nate Schmidt. Nate Schmidt and him. Nate Schmidt and him. Yeah. Um, okay. The Duck Sabres. I, I caught a little of this live, and then it was a late start, so I watched the rest in a condensed version this morning. Right. Um, the Ducks win 5-2. Sabres went up 2-0. Uh, another power play goal by Victor Olofsson. That means okay. eight career games – or sorry, eight career goals, all eight on the power play, six this year. Um, but the Sabres went one for seven on the power play. Anaheim got really physical with them, and the Sabres weren't able to take advantage of their opportunities on the power play. Now, they were at a 60% power play clip going into the Dallas game, and now I'm sure with going one for seven, they're probably down in the high 30s or maybe even the 20s. Where where I'm a little and I saw a little bit of this in the uh, in the game against uh, in the in the Leafs Capitals game in the first period, Tom Wilson took a very healthy run at John Tavares. Um, you had Lars Eller and a couple other players. I mean, there was definitely a note on the bulletin board for Washington: get physical with the Leafs. And I think the same note was on the bulletin board in Anaheim from Dallas Eakins get physical with the Sabres, and the Sabres didn't react well to it. Now, also, Linus Allmark played badly, and uh, their penalty killing wasn't very good. So a lot of contributing factors. Now, with the Sabres, Russ, again, everything is going right for them right now. They were getting great goaltending. They are getting their power play going well, Eichel scoring. What happens when all those things don't happen? I guess You're saying that teams are starting to figure them out a little bit. Yes. on what to get them out of their game that's working right now. Right. And yeah. they're, they're not a physical team. I mean, they have size. They're not a physical team. I mean, VC's not exactly a, sprint, a, a, a shrimp and a pozo and a few other players. But their skill guys are not – you know, Eichel's yeah, – he, he can stick up for himself. But, you know, Olsen's not big. Reinhardt's not big. Skinner's not big. Johannes I mean, not big. Right. So, I mean, their, their key players are more skilled, small, speedy guys. and. I really think that the realization that happened last year in the playoffs is coming to pass now. You can have success in the regular season with speed and skill, and but in the playoffs, you're going to need that plus size and sandpaper, and the teams that can play that way during the regular season have an advantage, and Anaheim is one of those teams. Yeah, Anaheim is one of those teams. Uh, I think, like you said, I think teams are going to – 
start to figure out the Sabres. I think it's just it's a miracle that Anaheim does anything. I do. I really think this is a year where people need to really look at John Gibson and what he's doing because I just told you what their power play is, and somehow they still have 10 points and are 5-2. and two. Why is that? I mean, it really. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, you know, Adam Henrique has got four goals. They're getting good performances out of some of their young guys. And good for Dallas Aikens. He's got them going right. Yeah. I give him credit, but I have to give a lot of credit to Gibson. And, yeah, I mean, we did say that everything would have to be right for Anaheim to do anything. And so far, that's what it's been. Yeah, they, they can't depend. They can't depend on. I mean, Perry's gone. Kessler's probably done for his career. They can't depend on Getzloff to be a consistent offensive performer. I mean, look at these numbers. Gibson has a one point eight five goals against and a nine forty one save percentage. I think a nine forty one would yeah. set the record. Yes, it would. <laughs> but right, but right now they right now they you know they're getting offense from Henrique and Bell mm -hmm. and Silverberg and some production out of the young guys. And if that happens, and if Gibson, if, this, if Gibson keeps this yeah. up all year, then they will be a playoff bubble team. There's no question they probably make it. Right. Yeah. Um, yep. The last game from last night was the San Jose Sharks over the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, I think I believe that was Carolina's first regulation loss, five, right. five to two. Evander Kane with a hat trick in the first period. You could see this game coming a mile away, and I think that's why I fell asleep on it after Kane got his first goal. You could just tell what was going to happen in this game. You could. Yeah, and uh, Martin Jones made uh, 36 saves, which probably is his best performance of the year. Again, I, I, now I'm, I'm just checking here to see. I wasn't sure if it was Reimer or it was Reimer, of course. Uh, Reimer, no, yeah, it was Reimer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, four goals on 21 shots. That's the James Reimer I know and love. Yeah, it, I mean, but this was a game where I just never felt like Carolina was going to win. I just didn't. And when I saw Evander Kane score, I was like, you know. This is something that's going to bother them. And then Dougie Hamilton give, did get a goal. And look, let's give him credit. I've always given him credit, but not everybody has because of the quirkiness of him. He has five goals again. He's going to score between 10 and 15 goals every year as a defenseman. Agreed? Can we just all yeah. agree on that? No doubt. But Kane really did take over this game. And you could see that it was probably going to happen and there wasn't going to be an answer on the Carolina's on the Carolina side for that. So right now, this is something where Carolina has to look at this game and say, all right, you know, we could sort of write it off. That's fine. And there were some great saves in it, no question. But you know what? Yeah, we, we can't get too carried away with ourselves and our celebrations and everything else that everybody's saying about us because we happen to be in first place. Because you know what? The Sharks are starting to feel it a little bit now, now that Marlowe's ignited them, and this is what's going to happen. Carolina's going to start going up against some of these veteran teams because they're still a fairly new team with all the players that they've inserted the last two years. Agreed? Agreed. You know, even a guy like Edmondson is new to them. So this is what this is going to be a challenge for, for Rod Brindamore, I believe. Now um – let me just uh, check the schedule for tonight because there's a couple other things I wanted to touch on before we start taking questions. Well, we already touched on the powder keg of the game tonight. Yeah, well, uh, there are, let's see, Lightning Bruins. That'll be an interesting matchup. Bruins are without David Krejci. He's injured. Uh, Charlie Coyle moves up to the number two center. Number three center is former Leaf and Winnipeg Jet Par Lindholm. So that should illustrate the thinness of the Bruins if Krejci is – uh, starting to have injury problems again. Uh, Wild versus uh, Canadians. The Wild are one and five, uh, and this is the third game in four nights for them um, playing the Habs. Uh, Rangers, Devils, as you mentioned, a um, lot of lot of focus on this one. Not only because of you know Kako versus Hughes, but obviously the Devils struggles right now. Oh four and two. Uh, Canucks Blues is a good matchup. Islanders Jets. Uh, Red Wings Flames. 
Predators, Coyotes, Senators, Golden Knights, and Kings, and uh, Sabres on the West Coast. Now, uh, Elliot Friedman touched on the uh, – Can I touch on one thing too? Go ahead. You know, for anybody that wants to tweet me that Kako's better, how does one point make him so much better than a guy with no points? I mean, I think – yeah, I mean, I think they're both going to be good. I, that's what I think too. But I don't – again, there. I'm going to disagree with – everything that happens at the beginning of this game, the lead in everything that this is a battle between Kako and Hughes. It's not, right. it is not. This is a battle of the New Jersey devils against themselves and the Rangers just to play a decent home game with some injuries. That's the real battle here. Well, I just have to touch on this because <laughs> there's proof that this guy listens to what we say. Alexander New South Wales in the chat says, I want to know how in the world did Russ miss you two at Live Aid? Sad. I went to the bathroom. <laughs> I know, but, but he actually remembered that. I was oh, like, that's amazing. I And I appreciate that. I'm just going to rewind it for the people that – and I'm just going to say it this way. When you get – I got to – was it RFK Stadium at JFK. 6 a.m.? JFK. Sorry, I always get that wrong. I got there at 6 a.m. I worked the day before. I slept for a few hours. We drove from New York. We get there. We're watching all the Wembley stuff, and they handed out the program, and it dawned on me, I'm going to be here until 11 o'clock or midnight. When am I going to go to the bathroom? Is there going to be any toilet paper? And there you have it. Yes, I, I, I'll share. I'll share some of my stories from uh, from a uh, Van Halen concert back in the day about the bathroom situation <laughs> some some other time. Um, but just to touch on a couple things that were reported, uh, uh, and Elliot Freeman's thirty one thoughts. Uh, he ponders that if the Devils do not trade, do trade, decide to trade Taylor Hall, if they find out that it's going to be impossible to sign him that one interested team could be the Edmonton Oilers, and wouldn't that be a curious situation? Now, let's, let's – They're not going to trade for him. There is no way that they will trade for him. I'm telling you right now, they would wait for him to go to free agency. Right, because if – okay, again, and I know that Ak always thinks I'm you know, unreasonable or irresponsible when it comes to like sort of – trade negotiations if Edmonton is motivated to make the playoffs this year and they want to bring back Taylor Hall okay then the first guy I ask for if I'm Ray Shiro is Evan Bouchard right or Kaylor Yamamoto one of their top prospects if that's a no-go for Ken Holland then I tell him to go right height I just happen to think that right now Ken Holland his number one goal there was to get rid of Milan Lucic he did so far, that's come up roses for him. The number two goal, I believe, was to rebuild the farm system without sort of giving away the hopes of making the playoffs. And so far, that's working. Why in the world is he going to give up assets for Taylor Hall? Why? In a couple of months, you will get him as a free agent. If he wants to come back, you'll have the money because you'll move out another contract. Holland will make sure it happens. I just don't see him giving up assets for that. Now, there will be teams interested in Taylor Hall. I just don't think Edmonton will pay the price. It's the same thing as the the St. Louis Rams paid the price for, um, was it Jalen? Ramsey. Ramsey, sorry. Jalen Ramsey. There is a Jalen Edwards for something, though. Anyhow, but Jalen Ramsey, yeah. The Eagles didn't want to pay the price, right, because the Rams gave up two firsts and a fourth. And apparently that was too rich for the Eagles. That's what it's going to be in this Taylor Hall sweepstakes. And I don't think Edmonton is going to be that team that goes that deep and says, yeah, you know what, we'll give you, you know, a first and Bouchard and you could, you know, pick another player or another pick from next year's draft. It, ma- it makes more sense for a team like Boston. Yes. Who needs one more score and has got a deep pool of young talent that they can get them as a rental. Right, that they can afford to give them, give up a first round pick, or give up, you know, like a young guy like a Zabor or a Sinitian yeah. plus a draft pick or something like that. Right. That makes sense. And you know, they they made the Cup final last year, or somebody like Colorado, they thought they needed more scoring, which they don't. But but you know, there are teams. And teams they might even give up Tory Krug if they don't think they can sign Tory Krug, and the Devils think they can. They'll they'll give up Tory Krug, and that's a hell of a guy to get, right? But they yeah. might do it. 
Funky said Carolina, maybe as a red. Yeah. Yeah. That, that might make sense. Um, Another thing from Elliot Friedman, uh, Sabres are another team looking to move a defenseman. Uh, I can say, you know, right now, Brandon Montour is probably a couple weeks away from returning. Right. They have six, a fairly solid six right now with Darlene, Miller, Ristolainen, Scandella, uh, McCabe, and Yokiharu. So who comes out? Probably. You know, I mean, like none of them are in demand. No, but R- R- Ristolainen is the guy that they want. Cool. But that, again, you're not trading for Ristolainen in, in November. Nobody's right. giving up big assets for that in November when they're not sure of where their team is. Scandella would come fairly cheap, but what, but there's a reason. Scandella's not that good. Yeah, he's playing bottom pairing for me. He's making four million bucks. I mean, one of the teams yeah. that one of the teams that Friedman indicated might be interested would be Arizona because Yarmolson's out for three months, um, but. You know, I don't know what their caps. They, they don't have a ton of cap space now. No, they, I don't. I, they I might don't. put Yarmolson on LTIR, but it's a, but do you get do you perceive that that the new ownership in Arizona is willing to spend above and beyond the cap, which they would have to do? I don't think they'll do it. Right. So, um, okay, we'll take some questions in the chat here. Col- yeah, so Toronto Greenhouse is Toronto, uh, Colorado with Taylor Hall would be scary good. I I continue, oh, yeah. I continue to think. That if the if the Avalanche will make make a deal before the deadline, it's going to be for a goaltender. If they if they have fear that Grubauer cannot handle. Well, so far, Grubauer has been really good. So he has been good. I, I, definitely, definitely. Uh, that definitely. You're right. Anything can change because it's early on. Uh, I'm looking though. If I'm the new owner from Arizona, right? Arizona's ranked 25th in attendance. Their home average is. 15-4, which is one, two, three, four, fifth, yes, yeah, sixth, sixth worst. But Winnipeg has a smaller, much smaller rank. So really fifth worst in the league at home. Am I, there's not enough revenue to be generated there yeah. for me to say, yeah, I'll spend over the cap. Yeah. Uh, last, by the way? What's that? Who is last in attendance? Ottawa. They're second to last. Okay. Who's last? Who's last? New Jersey? New Jersey is 27th. I'm, I'm getting close. You're getting close. It's got to be a Florida, 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 Florida. Nope. Florida's third from the bottom. Okay. Who? The New York Islanders. <laughs> uh no no comment uh toronto dating a fact that's all i'm doing toronto, toronto greenhouse asked could victor olson or kale mccarr win the calder instead of Kako or hughes absolutely yeah i mean mccarr was in my list of guys i thought could win it olson was on that next i you know i i put out a list i think of six and i felt like there could be eight or ten if you remember and olson's part of that longer list but you know it's hard to whittle them down preseason. Absolutely. I mean, both dynamic players. I think McCarr might be able to keep it up longer than Olofsson, but we'll see. I mean, they're both really good. I love this screen name, El Guapo. Ah! Yes, I'm going to spill you so full of lead, you can use your you-know-what as a pencil. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, is there – that was an average movie, but that line was great. Uh, is there any chance that the Kings can trade Jonathan Quick if he starts playing at least average? Yes, there's a very good chance. I don't even know if he has to play average. Coons will be interested. I believe that he will be a possibility, a very good possibility to get traded. So, Because right now, you look at the crystal ball, it's not getting better for the Kings in the next year. Now, I, I talked to Dennis Bernstein from the fourth period. He was on the radio show that I do on Thursdays, and right. we actually talked about the Kings and that you know he believes that they're in a, they're in a rebuild, but they're yeah. not in any rush because I think, you know, in, in a situation like Quick where he's got a lengthy term left, 
it may mitigate what they can get in return. But the thing is, is that for them to rebuild, they're going to have to clear some of these long-term salaries. And yeah. if it means giving away Carter or Brown or quick, I mean, and getting maybe draft picks back or a prospect, but not the value that you think that they would get, that that might be what, where they go. Cause I mean, really they're locked in, they're locked in with these long-term guys. And the only way they can sort of change things there is to, is to move on from them. And just remember, Gabe Velarde has not even played yet this year. Yeah, and I mean, we know the injury history there. So, I mean, it's not exactly encouraging. Um, okay, Anthony Canard uh, asks, Mike, are you confident in the Leafs' backup goaltending? I am, but my opinion is meaningless. It's whether whether Mike Babcock and the Leaf organization is. And they played Hutchinson two games in the second of back-to-back. He gave up five and then in one one of the one goal in the shootout in a loss to Montreal and then gave up four against Washington. He has two more back-to-backs this month. If they go 0-4, then they're going to be looking for a backup because Babcock yeah. will be doing a Jonas Enroth. They'll be saying yeah. confidence. And they can't call up – the, you know, the, the answer is not internal. They're not going to call up Casimir Cascasuo. No. And Joseph Wall is 20, 21 or they're 20. Calling him up. They're, they're, they're going to let them play in the AHL. They'll be, looking, they'll be looking for somebody on the waiver wire or somebody to make a trade with. Yep. Um, all right. Let's see here. A couple more questions. And we'll, um, abs don't need Hall. What? Okay. Abs don't need Hall, but he, he would add another dimension on an already great offense. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just using. Where, where's the question in that? No, I, I just it was in response. It was in response to what I said about Taylor Hall. I mean, yeah, I mean, it would be. I always kind of wonder what Toronto greenhouse is smoking, anyhow. So it's okay. Well, if it's a greenhouse, we know what he's smoking. Come on, <laughs> it's legal in Toronto. He can do it. Yeah, you know, if he has any CBD cream. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Okay. Who are the coaching candidates who would take over the Devils? I'll, well, I'll go out on a limb and say it won't be Tom Fitzgerald. Right. Um, it's a good question. I mean, the, the thing is, though, I, and I don't know who's on their staff. Um, you know, I don't think that they would go interim because there's too much of the season left. Right. You know, who are the, who are the big name? You know, I mean, John Stevens. I mean, you got to remember, some of these guys are assistant coaches of other teams, so they'd be loath to moving to other They're teams. not going to move an assistant coach to let them have a coach right now. Right, exactly. So it's going to have to be somebody who's completely out there right now. Yeah. Um, You know, taking into consideration Shiro's connection to first Nashville and then Pittsburgh. Now, the thing is – he had a connection to Pittsburgh, and Hines was the coach in Scranton, Wilkesbury. So, is there anybody in the Pittsburgh chain that uh, is out there? I mean, Michelle Terrian's an assistant coach in Philadelphia, so that's not going to happen. I wonder how steeped is Larry Robinson really with with the Blues, right? Because he's not like he's, he's, just, he's an advisor. He's an advisor, and he has coached the Devils before. Maybe they bring him in on an interim. I don't know if he'd be interested. But they might because, you know, maybe he wants to give it one more go. He wasn't great the first time. I get it. But there was also a lot of issues with that team right? when he took over. I mean, Mike Yo. Will, I don't even think the Flyers would give up Mike Yo right now. Yeah, Willie, Willie Desjardins. Yeah, Willie Desjardins would be one. Uh, uh, who's Who was the guy that was the former cop that was the Ottawa Senators coach? Oh, Oh, uh, not Corey Clouston. No, no. Um, guy was pretty gruff. Paul McLean. Yeah, Paul McLean. But I don't know about. Uh, but yeah, I mean, around. I mean, Bob Bugner. I mean, the thing is, you're Bob looking. Bugner. You're looking at recycled coaches here. Yeah, I mean, there's no other way. I mean, right now, that's probably why they did what they did. Yeah. Even though they said John Hines asked for it, and that's fine. Good on John Hines for wanting to improve things, but still not going to matter. At some point, it's going to be an issue. Uh, Goalie FP asks, "Is it first of all, is it Bommy in Buffalo? And the question is no. Uh, it says, question for Russ, how is Cole Caulfield been doing, and could he come up at some point this year? Well, definitely could come up after his season's over in college, and I fully expect that that's going to happen. Right now – you know, 
Would I like him to be better? Sure. He's only got five points in two games. So if you think that's good, then, you know. Uh, Guy Boucher was – I'm kidding, right? You don't even laugh. Like, come on. No. Uh, no. He's, got four goals. He's got four goals and an assist in two games. Yeah, nice pace. Uh, <laughs> uh, Guy Boucher was the other name that was dropped. Um, oh, Guy Boucher. Um, I don't yeah, know if that's I there. But, yeah. I mean, the one good thing about Boucher is that he gets results fairly quickly, but then they sort of taper off afterward. Patrick Waugh. There you go. Patrick, Patrick Waugh. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think so. All right. Uh, good show, guys. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Hockey Buzzcast. Uh, for Russ Cohen, I'm Michael Agello. Thanks for watching. And remember, without